Good evening. It's good to gather here in God's presence and to be called by God to come and to worship. We gather here on Good Friday. As a reminder, this is the day in which the church remembers Jesus' suffering, his rejection, and his death. It's a time for us to reflect on his experience as the one who entered into our sorrow, our death, on our behalf. As part of our service tonight, we will look at the shadows that Jesus experienced, the shadows that fell upon him, as a way for us not simply to think about his suffering, but to be invited in to see and to reflect on the divine love that God has for us in Christ. The close of our service, just as a reminder, the close of our service, our, our service will end darkness in the sanctuary, and I invite you to exit the service quietly in observation of Christ's death and his suffering on behalf. Let's take a moment now to prepare ourselves to come to God in prayer.
Will you join me for our responsive call to worship? Blessed be the name of the Lord our God, who redeems us from sin and death. For us and for our salvation, Christ has become obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty, righteous, and holy God, the one who is perfectly just and merciful, we come before you this evening to acknowledge your sacrifice through the death of your son, Jesus Christ, to restore a broken world and redeem a lost people to yourself. This Good Friday, we come face to face with the scandal and horror of the cross and the depths to which our Savior, Savior suffered. His death frees us now from darkness that torments our souls and has overshadowed and captured our world. You are the God of light and the darkness cannot survive in your presence. We are told that the darkness will not overcome us. Yet too often, our daily experience is one filled with darkness, a darkness that emerges from our past haunting and shaming us, a darkness that lays heavy upon us in this present moment which often paralyzes us, a darkness which seems to quench our future hopes. We acknowledge that too often this darkness overwhelms us. We remain captive to our doubts and fears. We fail to recognize your faithfulness to us and we get lost choosing to seek ways of self-preservation and oppression rather than the way of humility and sacrifice. This past year has been marked by death, violence, and hatred in ways that have less left us shaken and brought us to our very knees. We have bore witness to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people this year across the globe. We find ourselves becoming numb as we continue to see people die. Many of us this year have lost loved ones and have been touched by the reality, the harsh reality of death itself. We cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Because too often you feel far from our troubles and suffering. Violence and oppression continue to mark the experience of many within our neighborhoods, city, and nation. Racial violence continues to dominate and hatred against those who are different seems to remain so ingrained within our society. The cry for real and genuine justice is sacrificed on the altar of political and self-seeking agendas of others. Truth, goodness, and justice are sacrificed in giving way to lies and deceit. How much longer will justice be tossed aside? How much longer will you be silent, Lord God? Yet it is here at the cross of Christ that we encounter not only our own sins and shortcomings, but we encounter the depth of your love for us. You did not shy away from death itself, but you sent your son to take on our brokenness, our humanity, so that you could conquer sin and death upon the cross. Christ was abused and mocked and the world violently raged against him. Gracious God, your son experienced the full weight of human violence and injustice 
so that he might bring eternal peace and lasting justice. Lord God, may we encounter and see anew your crucified Lord and Savior this evening. May we come to experience and know the depth of your grace and love for us through your sacrificial death. May we find new confidence in his shed blood and broken body and access to your throne of grace. We pray all these things by the power and blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Shadow of Loneliness, a reading from Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The word of the Lord. Lord, have, have mercy. Will you join me in this responsive prayer? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I ask after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn me away in anger. For you have been my help. Do not cast me off. 
Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. The Shadow of Desertion, Matthew 26, 47 through 56. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place in the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. The word of the Lord. The shadow of accusation and denial, a reading from Matthew 26, verses 57 to 75. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. 
then they spit in his face and struck him and slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, he will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The word of the Lord. Let us continue to pray. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Surely, Surely he has, has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yea, we account him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we were healed. When Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a, a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See it to yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. The, the word of the Lord. Lord, have mercy.
the shadow of death. A reading from John chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The word of the Lord. Lord have mercy.
patience this evening as we think about the cross, there's two questions I want us to reflect on together. The first is, what is the nature of a Roman cross? And then the second one will be, how does God turn it into a symbol of divine love? So the first question is, what is the nature of the Roman cross? And what we need to see and what we hopefully have heard through these passages and songs is that the cross is a symbol of human suffering and oppression. The cross is a symbol of human suffering and oppression. It gives witness to the violence that humans have done and continue to do to one another. See, the cross of Good Friday confirms the reality of evil and deep wrong in the world. It gives witness to the reality that there is such things as wickedness, injustice, and evil. And in particular, the cross reveals the forces that reject, and destroy, and deny men and women as those who are made in the image of God, specifically denying the givenness of human dignity. You see, we might not always think about it, but the Roman cross is a human invention. And it was created for a very specific purpose, to be a place of utter rejection. Utter rejection. The cross twisted the body, it wrecked the spirit, it degraded one's standing. If we can try to imagine the scene, one was executed publicly, situated at a major crossroad or a well-trafficked artery. As Tom just read, we heard that the cross of Jesus was just outside the city. Stripped of clothing, exposed, shamed, and left to be eaten by birds or beasts, victims of crucifixion were subject to profound dehumanization and vicious ridicule. The cross not only brought physical suffering, it, it did that, but it also made a statement that this person, this person's right to exist has been negated. By nailing a person to the wooden beams of the cross, the powers declared this one is less. This one is an object of public disgust. See, the cross was reserved for non-citizens. and In most cases, it was for members of the low social categories. The outsider status and condition were confirmed by their execution. See, we can think of Jesus a poor outsider, put to death publicly, deliberately, and with immunity. His execution was carried out by all the best people, the best people, the representatives of the highest religious and governmental authorities, and they acted with impunity. See, the cross set Jesus as the other, as the one of public disgust. Jesus' otherness can be seen in the soldiers who stripped him, cruelly put thorns on his head, and spit in his face. Jesus' negation can be seen as Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, literally washes his hands of him, saying that you are insignificant to my life. Jesus' utter rejection can be heard in the individuals who, as they watch him carry his cross and be nailed to it, they ridicule and deride and mock him. 
He saved others, but how come he can't save himself? You bragged that you could tear down the temple and rebuild it. Where's your power and strength now? Jesus' aloneness can be felt as the disciples run away from him and as Peter denied him. I tell you, I don't know the man. I don't know him. See, in Jesus, we see the dehumanizing of the cross and how it functions like this terrible social club. A social club with the key to getting in, or at least to not being left out, was joining in the rejection, joining in the negation of the victim. He is not like us. He is not like us. The author, Helen MacDonald, references the experience of the frustration of trying to shove something into a box in which it will not fit. Maybe you've had this experience. She writes, it was the rage of something not fitting. The frustration of trying to put something in a box that was slightly too small. You try moving the shape around in the hope that some angle will make it fit in the box. Slowly coming to an apprehension that this might not, after all, be possible. And finally, you know it won't fit. No, there's no way it can fit, but that doesn't stop you from using brute force, trying to crush it, trying to hold it in, push it down. I was the person smashing it, she writes, over and over again, bruising my hands. You can picture that. I share that image because the cross is something that we prefer to keep hidden. The cross, in its actuality, its symbol of human suffering and oppression, is something that we would much rather keep out of sight. But if we look at it, if we dare to let it come out of the box, it confirms the experiences that we have had. See, the cross as a symbol of human suffering and oppression confirms that our lament and our weeping, our anger and outrage, that they're appropriate. They're appropriate responses to life in this world. The cross, the cross identifies with our experiences, our experiences of being negated, of being violated, of our mistreatment by the powers which enjoy impunity, of getting away with it, of our having to say goodbye to those we love or facing our lack of control. The cross also challenges us to look at ourselves. The account of Good Friday is not one in which the line between good and evil is between Jesus and his friends on one side and everybody else over here. But rather the cross reveals that we all share and the brokenness and the wickedness of this world. It invites us to think about the direct and indirect ways that we disapprove, reject, or treat one another or our neighbors as less. I'm not like him. I'm not like her. The cross is a symbol of human suffering and oppression. The second question, though, that we can ask tonight is how is it that God turns this symbol into a symbol of divine love? How does God turn the cross into a symbol of divine love? 
Jesus does not die a gentle death. Rather, he died as a public example, a common criminal in torment on the tree of shame. And all the while, the crowd mocks and shouts at him, and Jesus offers an agonizing cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there on the cross, in that position of other, the accursed, the place of shame, there in that place of lament and pain, death and rejection, there is our God. God enters in. There is our God. God is present in the very place of human suffering and oppression. You see, when we say that Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself, it means quite specifically he suffered the shame and violence and degradation that human beings have inflicted on one another. It means he received the cruelty of being cast out, thrown away, denied the givenness of his value and dignity. That's where our God went. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, God let himself be pushed out of the world and onto the cross. God let himself be pushed out of the world and onto the cross, that there Christ is weak and powerless, and that is precisely the way, the only way in which he helps us and is with us. Good Friday, the cross says that Jesus was dehumanized to restore our humanity. That he was set apart as the ultimate other, thrown away as the disgusting one. So that we might be welcomed, accepted as sons and daughters. Our God put himself voluntarily and deliberately into the place of suffering and rejection on our behalf. And the reason it's worth us thinking about these things is not only so that it affirms our experience, but that we can remember without this bearing of the cross, without Jesus entering into the shame and rejection, that there is no gospel. The only way there is a good news of hope is that God has entered into such places. For the gospel tells us that the power and wisdom of God shames the strong shames the proud and the elite. For the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world because God and Christ took on lowliness, took on ungodliness, took on infection, took on death to draw near to the broken and to those who mourn, to save sinners, the righteous for the unrighteous. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks for this word of the cross. Let us not boast in ourselves or in our good works, but let us boast in you, Lord, the one who's entered into our life to bring new life. In Jesus' name we pray.
Jesus Christ, who for our sake became obedient unto death, even death on the cross, may he keep you and strengthen you now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 